You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Well, good morning, church. For those of you who are here for the first time, Pastor Ken is our lead pastor. And here at New Life, uh, this pastor, our pastor, is very multi-talented. And uh, we are blessed to have him as our lead pastor, and he's leading by example. And so if you're here today and you have talents, here at New Life, we can use your talents to the max. Okay, so we hope that you fill out those connection cards and be encouraged that the Lord wants to use your gifts. Amen? Amen. Well, today my message is living in the Word, not the Word. It's a break from a series. Uh, we just ended up a series a week ago, and we're going to be starting a new series next week. But uh, today is going to be a, a different message or a separate message. And it's not part of a series, but it is my hope that we will all be blessed and be ministered today with the Word. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you here use a computer at home? Raise your hands. I think pretty much... Most of us are here, right? And we use those computers, I'm almost certain, for email, Facebook, for school, business reasons, etc. And one way or the other, I know for a fact that you have received one of those chain letters, right? Like I received an email years ago, said, don't use this soap or this shampoo or toothpaste because the manufacturers are endorsers of anti-Christian movements. And as a result, one guy responded that he does not take a bath anymore and brushes teeth. <laughs> or maybe you receive a chain letter that you need to send this letter to five people or else, or else, you would have bad luck. Bad luck will come to you or you will die. Or that, you know, a chain letter that says, you inherited millions of dollars, dollars from Africa, from some relative, that distant relative, and, and you need to send some money so that they'll release that inheritance to you. Now, there, there, there's different kinds of chain letters that are going on, right? There's those hopes, for example, like Bill Gates will be giving you $1,000 for the first 50 people who were forward this email. How many got that? And then there's those, the dare emails. This have a warning tone that if you don't comply, there will be negative consequences. And then we call the heartbreaker. These are usually stories about sick, a chick, sick child or a brave animal and always including a, a, a pitiful picture. And most of the time, it is difficult to validate claims made by such chain messages. But when you get pleas for money or services, can, this can classify this, these heartbreaking stories as scams if they solicit. Like one time I received an email, a chain letter from Kuya Jess, Jess Marfil, that uh, he was stranded and robbed in some foreign country and wanted to send some money back because, you know, he lost everything there. And I only saw him a few hours before I got that letter. And he was already in Germany. You see, discerning Christians will think twice before hitting post, share, 
or send these chain messages. And the test you can do is this. First question, is it true? You don't want to be spreading lies, right? Secondly, is it a coercion? When we coerce people to do something, we are manipulating their decisions. The third, is it superstition? Does it imply a superstitious fear that if you don't comply, something will happen? And then, last one, is it a substitute for a true spiritual devotion, meaning how many people have been led to repentance and salvation by a chain letter claiming to offer God's blessing for passing it on? If you don't know the truth, you will easily be swayed and maybe scammed. So today, let's find out how we can know the truth. Let's read our main verse today on Romans 12, 1, 2. I'll go and read verse 2, but please open your Bibles. I encourage you to open your Bibles, uh, not rely just on technology. We'd love to hear those pages flipping. You know, you can use your iPhones and all that kind of stuff that is available now. And we all, I ask you to all stand, and we give honor to the word of the Lord this morning. Let's all stand. I'm going to start reading from the first verse. This is the second verse, but those of you who have Bible, I want you to read with me, okay? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, everybody, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father God, let no person leave this place today, Father God, receiving the fullness of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. See, Paul says, Christians are transformed by the renewing of their minds. The mind can be changed if you apply things to it that will, proper, that will properly transform it. And the mind is in control or the control center of our attitudes, our thoughts, our feelings, and actions. For many of us, like me, I grew up in a Catholic background. Okay? As we were growing up, we lived believing in a lot of non-truth. We did not know the real truth about God, about Jesus. Elementary, kindergarten to college, I was under priests and nuns in a Catholic school. So I know how it is to grow up as a Catholic. We did not know the real truth about God, about Jesus. I thought I did. It was all in the head. There were compromises in our belief. It was a mixture of truth and lies. And maybe there are some of you today who are hanging on to those false beliefs and you don't even know it. And it is so hard for you to let go because that, that was how we were raised, those beliefs, those traditions. And our verse today in Romans says, do not conform to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are influenced by the world around us, and it has significant part in our decision-making and how we respond to the things in life. These decisions that we make are based on our opinions, which later also form our convictions. 
We need to live with the right convictions. Conviction is something that you firmly believe is true. And we should establish our convictions based on absolute truth, not on subjective truth. Now, what's the difference? Subjective truth or relativism is what is known. That means what is true to you is, is true for you. Or what is true for me is true for me. Meaning, believing whatever you want. And then we have absolute truth, which is defined as inflexible reality. It is fixed, it's invariable, and altered facts. For example, it is fixed, invariable, and altered fact that there are no absolute square circles and there are no absolute round squares. We need to stand courageously for what we believe, for our convictions, for our truth, when it may not be politically correct. You have to know first what the world believes, and then you seek to know what God says is the truth. What we're talking about here is what we call a worldview. And your worldview are the beliefs that you base your life on, beliefs that, hold, that you hold on to make your decisions. And everybody has a worldview. That is why we have arguments. That is why there is conflict in the world. Everybody has a different viewpoint. You take five people with five different worldviews, and they see the same event, and they're all going to see something differently because they're looking at it from their own worldview. Just watch one of the news, uh, like CNN or Fox, when they have these panels of discussions, uh, uh, and you will see they have different viewpoints, and sometimes one is not even done talking, and one is or two people already are butting in to negate what was being said. The same thing, Christianity is a worldview, but this is the belief that you build your life on. Your worldview includes how you see God, your, your, your worldview includes how you see yourself, how you see others, how you view your past, your present, and your future. Your worldview includes how you see sex, money, time. Your worldview includes how you see good and evil, problems and pressures. It influences everything in your life. And as I said, everybody has a worldview. And every time you make a decision, you access the worldview archive in your, or files in your brain, in your mind. And you decide because I believe this, this is what I'm going to do. If you, for instance, in your worldview, the world was going to end next week, you would act very, very differently than you are right now. You probably aren't even going to be here. Your worldview influences every choice you make. All your choices are based on it. And here's the problem. You are profoundly influenced by what other people believe. Most of your viewpoints you didn't even pick up consciously. In fact, most of your worldview you've never even thought about. It's unconscious, it's unspoken. 
You don't even think about it. You've never sat down and written out your values or philosophies in life. That I can assure. <laughs> I'm sure of. A lot of your viewpoints, you didn't pick it from the Word or the Bible. You picked it up from the world. You were influenced by your parents, by your peers, by your friends. Everything in life is, is supporting a worldview. A lot of times, you pick it up even, even realizing it. Every time you read a newspaper article, there's a worldview in that article. Every time you listen to a song, there's a worldview in that song. Every time you uh, have a conversation, a worldview is being communicated there. And, and, and you pick up a lot of worldview from the world that isn't the truth. You need to pick up the, uh, you need to pick it up from the word, which is the truth. And as I said, most of the time, you haven't even thought, thought about it. And most Christians have a non-Christian worldview. You may be a Christian. You may be on your way to heaven, and you don't have a Christian worldview. In fact, you could be a Christian and head to heaven and actually have an anti-Christ or an anti-Christian worldview because you got it from the world, not the Word. You may be headed for heaven, but if you don't base your decisions on the Bible, on the Word of God, you're going to have devastating results in your life. You are continually bombarded by the worldview of other people. You get it in classrooms. You get it in the business, articles, movies, songs. It's all around you. But you may have never have identified actually what those worldviews are. And just a few examples. You know, how will you respond to them when asked, is there a God and what is he like? What is the nature and origin of the universe? Which come first, the chicken or the egg? What is the nature and origin of man? Where does knowledge come from? How would you respond to those questions if an atheist comes to you and asks you those questions? So before we look at the Christian worldview, what God says is the truth, I want us to look at some of the most popular anti-Christian worldviews. They're all around you. Maybe you've never identified them. And this not, these are not all of them. And the first worldview is what we call materialism. Materialism is the worldview that what, what matters most is money. That's why there are people who are not here today. That is the materialism worldview. What matters most is money. That life is all about acquisitions of things. And the way you measure your success is by how much wealth you've got. If you've got a lot of wealth, you're successful. If you have little wealth, you're not successful. These people who are materialists have bumper stickers that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. But this is really a foolish philosophy of life because you didn't bring anything into the world. You're not going to take anything out of this world either. You're going to leave it all here. So you think that the purpose of your life is just to help or to pile up and pile up and then leave it? 
Absolutely not. You were made far more than things. Jesus has a very opposite opinion, and he presents a very different worldview, he said. Jesus said, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In other words, your possessions don't determine how valuable you are. Your valuables don't determine your value. Your net worth doesn't determine your self-worth. And the greatest things in life aren't things. And a lot of people don't understand that. And the whole business of life for many people is simply to make money. That's the number one goal of life. If your number one goal in life is to make money, you are a materialist. And I know there's no people here who are materialists, right? Because you're here. You say, I'm not a materialist because I'm not greedy. In materialism, economics outdoes everything else. It determines how you vote. It determines how you act. It determines how you think. It determines everything else in life if I'm a materialist because money matters most. The second most popular anti-Christian view is hedonism. Hedonism is the philosophy that whatever feels good is good. In materialism, money is God. In hedonism, pleasure is God. The whole goal of life is to be happy if you're a hedonist. The whole goal of life is to be comfortable. The whole goal of life is to party, to have thrills. And what matters more, most to a hedonist is how I feel. If it feels good, then it is good. It's good to be good because it feels good. And the number one goal of life is comfort for a hedonist. Hedonism can be anything. It could involve food. It could involve sex. It could involve sports. It could involve a hobby, alcohol. It could involve drugs. Things could be good or bad. Many of the things are good, but they're not the goal of life. If you say, my number one goal in life is to be happy, you're a hedonist. God did not put you here on earth for, for your number one goal to be happiness. Happiness is just a byproduct of living the purpose you were created for. It is not the goal of life. It is the benefit of life for doing the right things. And holiness creates happiness. And a lot of songs today, popular songs, are really hedonistic. You can be a hedonist and not even know it. You can be a Christian and be a hedonist. If your number one goal in life is to make life comfortable, you're a hedonist. If your number one goal in life is happiness, you're a hedonist. If your number one goal in life is retirement, you're a hedonist. Because God did not put you on this earth to do nothing. There's nothing wrong with retirement. It's just not the goal of life. You were made for so much more than pleasure. You were made so much more than happiness. You were made so much more than thrills or fun or anything else. And just because something is fun and just because something is pleasurable doesn't make it right. The Bible says 
In Proverbs 21, 17, Solomon wrote this. He was the wisest man who ever lived. He was also the wealthiest man who ever lived. And he concluded, said, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Why? Because when you're a hedonist, like a materialist, there's never enough. You ask a person, how much money do you need to be happy? Oh, just a little bit more. How many more pleasure, how many more thrills do you have to be to be happy? Oh, just a little bit more. Why? Because pleasure doesn't last. No thrill lasts. No happiness, no emotion lasts. Whether it's good or bad, it doesn't last. In Hebrews 11.25, I don't have it here, but you can write it down and read it later on in your notes. Hebrews 11.25, the Bible says, Moses chose to suffer with God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. The greatest thing about the Bible is it always tells the truth. It's honest. The Bible says sin is fun. Notice it says pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable. If sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Even the Bible admits sin is fun. Is, is it fun to eat things that are bad for you? Of course. Absolutely. Bulalo. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Lechong kawale. Is it fun to stay up really late even though you've got to get up early in the morning? Yes. There are a lot of things in life that are good for you, and there are a whole lot of fun, or there are a whole lot of pleasurable. There are a lot of pleasures in it. But the Bible says there is pleasure in sin. But notice, it doesn't last. It's for a short time. The cost of sin is far greater than the pleasure of sin. Sin is fun, and there's no doubt about it. But the cost of it could be your own soul, and the cost of it could be a broken body, a broken mind, a broken heart, or a broken relationship. There's always a cost to sin. Simple things we sometimes take for granted. How many of you have beaten a red light or, or have done speeding? Now it's only 65 and you're running like 80 or something. We do that, right? And, but we have to remember the Lord is always with us when we're traveling, right? He's our passenger. And the thing is, you know, if the Lord is our passenger, if we get into an accident, you're the only one who's going to get hurt. He won't. Galatians 6 verse 8 says, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And the third anti-Christian worldview that I can share with you this morning is what we call individualism. Individualism says, what I want comes first. Materialism says, money is God. Hedonism says, happiness is God. Individualism says, I'm God. It doesn't really matter what happens to you. This is a dog-eat world. I've got to look out for number one. They have even series on television, survival. 
Dog eat dog. We encourage that in our society now. What I want comes first. This is, it is a self-centered lifestyle. And America was built on rugged individualism. I do what I want to do when I want to do it, and nobody can tell me not to do it. Today, that has evolved into the culture of narcissism. Maybe you haven't realized this, but every advertisement ever created appeals to our self-centeredness. We do it all for you. Have it your way. You deserve a break. It's all about you. Just do it. In fact, they're even naming products based on our self-centeredness. We now have almost 90% probably have an iPhone or an iPad. And you probably have uh, using the space MySpace or you're using YouTube. Who's the you? You. We actually are creating tools that cultivate our narcissism. That it's all about you. Everything is all about you. Hiddenism, most people don't realize it. That's flat out hiddenism. Do whatever you have the urge to do. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. You must obey your thirst. Drink Sprite. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you richer, do it. If it's all about you, you do it. And here's the issue. God didn't create you to live for you. Because the Bible says on Proverbs 18.1, see the opposing views, the worldview, and God's view? God sent Jesus Christ not just to save us from our sin, but also to model us how to live. Do nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself. That is counterculture. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to put aside your selfish ambition. You've got to deny yourself. What? You've got to deny yourself. In our society, those two words you never hear, deny yourself. But instead we hear, serve yourself, love yourself, take care of yourself, live for yourself. Nobody in our culture is saying what Jesus is saying, deny yourself. Then Jesus taught us that God designed us for love. And love is not thinking of yourself. Love is giving yourself away. And Jesus said it is only in giving yourself away you'll ever know what it means to really live. Paul said, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and forget about satisfying your own selfish desires. In fact, over and over in the Bible, God warned about living a self-centered life. The Bible says this in Romans 2, verse 8. It says, for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth. In other words, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says, do this, but I don't like to do that part. So I'm, I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to be self-seeking and I'm going to reject the truth. I know God says to do this, and I know God says don't do that, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. For those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Why? Why does it tick off God when I'm self-centered? Why does it make him mad when I live for myself? 
Because number one, He didn't make you for that reason. But the real, real reason that God opposes self-centered living is because God is love. And the Bible says love is not selfish. God wants you to be a great lover, not a great self-centered person. And the Bible says love is not selfish. And what's the result of this worldviews? Materialism. Money is God. Hedonism. Pleasure is happiness is God. And individualistic. I'm God. See, we don't really break God's laws. They break us. One of the laws that established in the universe is called, for example, the law of gravity. Okay? I could be up on the roof of this church and say I don't believe in the law of gravity. It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. It's still in effect. And I could say I don't believe in the law of gravity. Fine. You don't believe in it. It is still in effect. You can run from God the rest of your life, but then you can't run anymore. One day, there will be a day of accountability. When I hit bottom, when I hit the pavement, I'm not going to break the law of gravity. It's going to break me. I'll have broken bones. I will always hurt myself when I ignore God, what God says to do. What is the biblical worldview? The answer is everything that we find in the Word of God, in the Bible. That's why God gave us the Bible. This is God's biblical worldview. And there's a lot to study in it. There are a lot of things in the Bible that nobody has a problem with, though. There are a lot of things in the Bible where nobody is upset or it's controversial or politically incorrect. For instance, the Bible says you must help the poor, right? Nobody disagrees with that. The world is okay with that. The Bible says you must care for the sick. Nobody disagrees with that. The Bible says you must tell the truth and be fair in all your business dealings. Nobody disagrees with that. And the Bible says you must respect everyone no matter what they believe or do. And nobody agrees, disagrees with that. You must love everybody. You must take care of the, your environment. Of course, everybody agrees with that. We've got to keep our world going. We might disagree how, but these are things where there's no controversy. Okay? But there are aspects of our Christian worldview that are hated by this world. And most Christians clam up and shut up because they're afraid to even stand in the areas that are controversial. They are, they are areas of what we call sanctity. And that's the reason why we're here in this stage in our society today. Sanctity means something that is holy. These are the sanctity of life, the sanctity of sex, and the sanctity of marriage. What are your convictions on this subject? What a lot of people do is they want to pick and choose the parts of the Bible they want to believe. I like this part, and I'm going to believe it, but I don't like that part, so I'm not going to believe that. That's a non-Christian worldview. When you try to do that with God's truth, it's very arrogant because you're saying, I know more than God. I don't want to do this part of the Bible, or I don't want to do this part, or I want to do this part, but I'm going to believe that Jesus can save me and died for my sins. 
Why do you just believe the part and, and not, not the other things he said? Why don't you deny that part too? That part of saving grace instead of earning your way to heaven. The truth is, truth is always true. It's never a lie. It's always true. If it was true 10,000 years ago, it will be true 10,000 years from today. Because truth doesn't change. Change, uh, opinions change all the time. Science changes. The truth that science discovered doesn't change. And the truth that in God's word doesn't change. If you're going to be a courageous person, you've got to build your life on the stuff that doesn't change. Not popular opinion, not the current viewpoint, not whatever is cool or hip or whatever, but you've got to build it on eternal truth. We have to live with the right conviction. Without conviction, Martin Luther said, Martin Luther King, he said, you are not worthy to live. Without convictions, you cannot win in life. If you don't have convictions, you can easily be swayed by something that is not really true. Sometimes, for example, mostly in the Philippines, when you ask, you know, my friend, why, why do you believe on that? Okay, why, why, why is it you believe on this thing? Oh, because that's what my dad or mom taught me. And then you're going to ask, oh, so why does your mom and dad believe on that stuff? Oh, because my Lolo said so. See, it's not wrong to listen to your parents, uh, young people. I want you to listen to your parents. Actually, what we learn from our parents is the same things you are learning from us now. When you were young, or when we were young, for example, they told, tell us, oh, you sleep early. Let us sleep like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I want to play. No, you sleep early. You sleep. They want us to eat good. They want us to study well. They said, no boyfriend, no girlfriend. They said, don't marry too young. You see, young people, just listen to them. Don't worry. When you reach 52, they will push you to get married. <laughs> they will be the one who will push you to get married. As a matter of fact, you know, I have an uncle. He's 65 years old, young ladies, single ladies. If you're interested, see me after the service. I can hook you up, okay? Flow and mileage. Never got married, this, this guy. Just kidding. If it worked out, I need some referral fee, though. <laughs> now, the Word of God says, this is very important. He said, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then what will happen? This is the result. You will be prosperous and successful. When you are convinced, you read it, you prayed about it, you studied it, you meditated on it, establish it as your conviction. Where do you stand today for truth? What is your resolve as with regards to purity? What is your resolve as with regards to the Word of God? Marriage, sex, money, work, ethics, study habits, peers, sanctity of life. So how do we live in the word and not the world. We conclude. First, I need to accept God's word as my authority. I need to accept God's word as authority. Why? Because it's the only source that will never lie to me. Even when I don't like it, it tells me the truth. 
See, the Word of God says in Hebrews, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Develop your convictions by building your life on truth. That doesn't change. Okay? And the second thing you need to live, the truth is, number two, is spend personal time with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the less you're going to be intimidated by the opinions of others. See, in the book of Acts, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that this man had been with Jesus. These were uncommonly courageous men. The city council said, we're going to kill you. We're going to threaten you, put you in jail if you, if you keep talking about Jesus. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, see, none of these disciples have, a, have doctorate degrees or advanced degrees or high school or, or grade school degrees. They were just common fishermen. They said, how can these people have such a more enormous courage? You get that by spending more time with Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus, you pray and you talk to him. After they had prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke with God's word with fear. Standing up boldly for an unpopular opinion is not easy to do. But the rewards of it are enormous. The rewards of standing courageously for the truth will last forever and ever. Not millions, but trillions of years. I'd like to call on the worship team as we close today, as we conclude. You see, having the right conviction starts with understanding the Word of God. He gives us His Holy Spirit that He may teach us the truth so that we may live a light, life with the right conviction. Shall we all stand? See, through the years, Christians drifted away and lost ground in a battle that is too advanced as if there's nothing more we can do. There has been a moral decline in our society. And you can see and hear the news how divided we are as with regards to worldviews and Christian views today. I'm sure you're not blind. You probably are watching the news. And I, as we were worshiping today, every time I come here on the pulpit, I have to be honest with you, it's, it scares me. Regardless how much I prepare a message, God always speaks to me at the last minute. He gives me a word. It only shows that he wants me to be dependent on him. And the same thing as you. See, truly, there's some battlegrounds that we have lost. Prayer in school, same-sex marriage, what else are we going to lose? We have been complacent. There's been a moral decline 
in our society. And we cannot continue to be complacent and silent because truth, the foundational beliefs clearly outlined in the Scripture, must remain unmoved and unchanged. Times may change, but truth does not. Light and darkness, right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error are incompatible when, they com when they're compromised. When we compromise in these areas, not only is our testimony damaged, but our relationship with the Lord suffers because of our disobedience. As I said earlier, we may be Christians for a long time, but what we believe and the conviction behind that is not consistent. Jesus said, for example, he commissioned all of us. He said, make disciples of all nations. But how many of us really disciple people? This is the commission given to everybody. We are called to be his ambassadors, those who represent the kingdom to the rest of the world. Obviously, how we do it and what motivate, motivates us is important. And maybe some of you say, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I don't know how. So what are you going to do to learn? Are you going to continue just eating and eating? You need to look for ways to prepare you to learn and be ready. We need to develop a sense of urgency. This coming weeks, we're going to have a discipleship training in both campuses. It's called the FLOW, a very, very important step that you can make for your spiritual growth. You don't know how? We're telling you how. You take one of this when you take home and seriously consider attending it. And it's going to happen in both campuses. We need to develop a sense of urgency. And lastly, there was an atheist who said, if I believe in hell, as you Christians do, I would curl my hands and knees across burning deserts just to tell one person how to avoid going there. Do we really believe in hell? Do we have that urgency to tell one person to avoid going there? I want you to bow your heads. We're going to pray. You see, there are some of you today here that have spoken to the Lord. Just like when God spoke to me 30 years ago in a small parking lot where I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was not sure even what was happening that day. But one thing I was sure of, God was speaking to my heart. And God is speaking to your heart right now. Maybe it's about your way of life. Maybe it's about your convictions that are not set up right. Maybe this is God's way of reminding you today. I want you to make sure your convictions are in line with my word. And some of you today, there's a few here that's God speaking to. He said, I want you 
in my kingdom. See, time is against us, he said. Regardless what happened today, God will always be calling on you. But today is inviting you to accept him as his Lord and Savior. So I want to remind you people, especially these people who are here and speaking to God about this particular thing, that this is a safe place. And all you have to do to accept him as your Lord and Savior is to open your mouth and confess that he is Lord of your life and believe in your heart. And the Holy Spirit immediately will come into you and work through you. That was what was missing in my Catholic life. I did not have the Lord, the Holy Spirit. I did not understand about those old things at that moment. But it became clearer and clearer and clearer as I spent more time with him. So I'm going to pray with you right now if you're there. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's nothing you can do with your past, but you can change your destination in eternity. So I'm going to pray. And you repeat after me. Father God, forgive me of all my sins. I ask you to come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me and cleanse me of all my sins. Today, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, the Lord of my feet, the Lord of my hands, the Lord of my eyes, the Lord of my checkbook, the Lord of my family, the Lord of all in my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for you being my Savior today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.